Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to the program that I host on a fairly regular basis. It's a podcast and a broadcast, and it's a video cast. It's Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. See, I thought I would change it up just a little bit uh, because, you know, uh, you say the same things over and over and over again, and people get tired of hearing the same things over and over again. So let's change it up a little bit. Why not? As a matter of fact, we'll change it up so much that... You know all that other stuff that I tell you about that takes about a minute and a half to share with you? Gonna wait. We'll we'll sprinkle it around in this program, and I hope that you will uh, stay tuned to hear some of these other messages. But today, we're going places, folks. We're going on an odyssey. Uh, I'm not exactly sure what kind of an odyssey it is, although I do know that it is an alchemic has to do with the alchemical power of the spaces between. Between what? Well, guess what? We're going to have to wait and talk to our guest. Uh, we are going to talk to her about her book, The Liminal Odyssey. LiminalOdyssey.com is the, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, is the, uh, 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 what do I want to say? That's the website. I'm losing, I'm losing track of things, folks. Sandy Hart is my guest. She is the author. Sandy, I want to thank you so much for being a part of uh, what we do here uh, to change the world and make the world a better place for everybody. Thanks for being with us. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Uh, so when we talk about the liminal odyssey, again, the subtitle, The Alchemical Power of the Spaces in Between, I love defining terms. So that's where we're going to start. I think we have a pretty good idea of what an odyssey is. And it's not just a trip, is it? No, it's a deep exploration into the wild new frontier. And Ooh. we get to chart its path. Kind of like space, the final frontier, these are the voyages? That is exactly the image I had in my head when the, when the title came to me. Exactly. Sailing through space into... Uncharted territories, exactly. Well, and that takes us to the next word we wanted to define. Some people would say, well, the most logical word would be, no, alchemical. Mm. And then go ahead and let's put alchemical and the power. Alchemical power is uh, just out of curiosity because everybody's worried about people wanting to shift over to electric. Well, you've got to generate electric with something well, there are all kinds of different ways, and I thought Tesla had it had it really well that it's free. It's just in the air. Uh, what is what is alchemical power? Yeah, well, power is energy, right? It's it's basically you know, and if you're using power right, it's the efficiency of power. Um, but the power that we all have, and that power to transform and to shift and to guide us into that wild frontier. And the word liminal, I, I, um, alchemical, sorry, the word alchemical, <laughs> you know, we, we know alchemists mm -hmm. are those that are known to turn metals into gold. Um, they transform a collective unit of things into something else. Okay. That's what it means to alchemize something, to transform it. And what we mean by that in my world, when we're talking about alchemy, and there's an awful, a whole field of thought on those who are uh, taught, who use that language, you know, it's very alchemical, or we want to alchemize something. We're talking about, you know, taking something from its status quo and alchemizing it, transforming it, expanding it to its highest pos possibility. Um, and that possibility that might be encoded in it, 
whatever it is, mm -hmm. if, let's say it's a seed in the ground, it it, it, it there's an alchemical process when that seed breaks down and disintegrates before it breaks through the darkness of the soil and becomes what it's encoded to be, which could be a potential forest. That is alchemical power. But if we try to determine what that power was in that in that seed, we couldn't imagine it. So there's a process of alchemizing something to its highest power to really see it manifest into uh, its its absolute. I call it a divine assignment. It's planetary assignment. Whatever it is encoded to do, it gets to go out into the world and do it through mm. an alchemical process. All right. And, of course, we're kind of doing that almost almost like on a daily basis. We're, we're combining different elements, maybe not necessarily uh, um, in a chemistry format. But, uh, you know, for example, here we are. I, I've got light. I've got sound. Um, I, I have a computer, camera, microphone, console, all of these different things coming together uh, then combining you and I for this conversation that we're having. So there's, would would I be able, would I be fairly accurate in saying that we are in the process, and as I do these interviews every time, I'm in the process of an alchemical uh, experience, if you will? Absolutely, because it's what you do with the ingredients. Yeah. It, 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 it's what you are bringing up, what words you are using. Um, and we all have these alchemical potential moments throughout our entire day. Mm. Yeah, for sure. All right. So now we're going to move on to uh, another um, understanding here, a defining. You talk about the spaces in between. All right. In between what? Mm. It could be in between crisis and action. It can be in between conflict and dis or dilemma and choice. It can be between um, making a decision to pull a shelf, uh, an item off the shelf at the mark at the market. Um, you know, I need that product, but before I do, I'm in between making a decision if I'm going to pull that product off, and then how important it is for me to think in between that space. Mm -hmm. I use that example intentionally because when we are in, when we, when we encounter moments all day long between awareness and action, and it doesn't have to be crisis or dilemma, any moment of awareness between awareness and action, that's the space in between, how we are responding to that call, that awareness, all right? So the reason I use the expression uh, of the item on a shelf is because I personally find these opportunities all day long. I'm morally outraged with a lot of things that are happening in my in our country here. And so, well, I know my dollar is my vote. So what I buy is my vote. And so I need that product, but oh gosh, it's made of non-recyclable plastics and it, it's, its parent company is someone who funds an initiative that is destroying our planet. So I recognize, ah, 
that is, um, you know, the moment of awareness and mm -hmm. the moment of choice. I put mm -hmm. the item back down and go find another product. So it can be anything. It, and also, Richard, it's a um, it's the evolutionary growth spurt that we're in right now. Mm. This time and space where we are first time on the planet that we might have experienced this for at least 2,500 years. And physicists are, are coming to this conclusion, not just us visionaries or future thinkers, you know, it's, um, it's, you know, science. We're talking with Sandy Hart, and she has a book called The Liminal Odyssey, The Alchemy, Alchemical Power of the Space Between. And we are going to continue talking with her, reminding you of her website, liminalodyssey.com. We will be linked to that website as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're here with Sandy Hart, who is um, sharing with us some definitions uh, of some terms. And uh, some would say, well, boy, you, 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 you skipped right over the one word. We don't know what it is, uh, unless you've Googled it. Liminal. What is the definition, definition of liminal in the context of what we are talking about here today? Well, if you look up liminal in the dictionary, it basically refers to the word threshold. It's, it comes from the word threshold. And that threshold is that space right where we step where we make a decision we're stepping you know in from from awareness into action and by the way we step over thresholds all day long in a in a trance not even realizing we're making choices and doing and saying things um the the reason why that word was so important to me was because it invites us to really step into the threshold, not over it. And um, that requires um, awareness. But I have to say that architects use the word liminal to describe hallways, staircases. Hmm. Uh, there's a, a wide you know, range of other def, you know, uses for the word, but generally speaking, it means threshold. And I had only learned this word about a year and a half ago. I didn't know what the word meant. I found it clunky to say. Everybody will find it. I always got my M's and my N's confused. Mm. Uh, and uh, But when I started thinking about that word and this one experience I ha happened to have had in 1982, a story I've been trying to tell, but I just kept putting it down because I didn't have enough of a story to tell, I started thinking more about this word. And, and, and as I'm writing, I'm going, oh, wow. What was going on? What was that moment of choice? What was that threshold that I was at uh, in that moment in that story? And before I knew it, I had about 50,000 words and ultimately a book. Um, it's and I went on the Odyssey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I, I brought myself into that Odyssey and wrote about it along the way. Fascinating stuff. I, I and and some of the other things that I have picked up on here, as uh, as we have been uh, talking, uh, are some of the things that you have created, some of the things that you facilitate and have facilitated for a number of years. Uh, but you also carry with you several different titles: uh, mother, grandmother, wife, aunt, and sister. Uh, from of course the uh, uh, as it says here, the steep seaside cliffs in Southern California, and um, uh, you are involved in with something that I've. Actually, I'm rather intrigued in, uh, intrigued by as far as what you founded here, a women's interfaith gra 
grassroots international organization called SARA. That's an acronym, folks, for the Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope. Now, that is something that is so fascinating to me because I worked for 15 years in the 80s and early 90s at the height of televangelism for a Christian radio station. Boy, did I learn a lot. You thought politicians and car salesmen were sleazeballs. Uh, more on the international, more on the national level, mind you, okay, uh, than on the local level. The people that I associated with on the local level were pretty nice folks. They really were. Um, but what I found during that time was the lack of compassion within specifically, obviously, the Christian community for those people who actually, and if you want to put it in this context, genuinely belonged in the church, and it wasn't the saved. And yet, what did they do? They excluded, quote-unquote, the sinner. Anybody who did not match up to their their idea of what was a saint. You know, if they weren't saved and washed by the blood and so on and so on and so on. And I just, I, I thought, you got to be kidding me. This is not, and then when I think back to my reading of the Bible, and the New Testament especially, I'm thinking, uh, <clears throat> who were the very people that Jesus the Christ hung around with? It wasn't the saints. It was those who were, and again, I say perceived, as being the sinners. Those who were uh, living in ways that did not match up with what the higher power, the uh, powers that be at the time, wanted them to live by. How, or, uh, and, and I'm curious as to this organization, and I know you also have a blog in this regard too, uh, how did Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope come about? Yeah, and um, thank you for bringing up Sarah. Um, we're going our twenty year anniversary is next month, so it's very exciting and that we're still thriving. And I have to say before I do uh, re respond to that question um, that there are two motivations in life: there's fear, and then there's love. And as a Jewish woman, I know that Jesus stood for love, right? The embodiment mm. of yeah. love, and yeah. that's all I'll say about that. Yeah, anything else is fear. Um, and that's okay. You know, it's all part of the community. It gives it gives creative tension to the rest of us who are working really hard at creating a more compassionate community. Mm. Um, and so, Sarah. So, um, well, I woke up the morning of 9-11 to the same scene everybody else was seeing. And I say morning, I was in Southern California at the time. And um, before I could really open my eyes, I heard gather women. I'm like, okay, I didn't know who was broadcasting this to me. Mm. I wasn't, I didn't know that I was spiritually inclined. I was the director of sales and marketing for a major home builder. And I was, you know, wrapped up in my kids' lives. And I was an excellent soccer and basketball mom. And, you know, just kind of going through the motions as being a, you know, a busy mom or busy working mom. And um, so I'm like, what am I supposed to do with these women when I, when I get them? And where am I supposed to find them? But I just kept following the yes. And 
uh, before I knew it, I happened to have been involved, invited into some living room dialogues at the Orange County Human Relations Commission um, there in Southern California had brought together 32 groups revolving around the county comprised of interfaith people, you know, Sikhs and Muslims and Christians. And, and our, the one group I was in was specifically Jewish, Christian, and Muslim. And it was Episcopalian in mm. terms of Christianity um, and the Islamic Center of Orange County and um, 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 and uh, my synagogue at the time, Temple Bethel. And the, um, the conversations were so heart expanding and I realized how little I really knew about the world and myself um, and that in that time. But in the meantime, I found the women. That's where I, I kind of extracted the women and said, hey, let's have our own conversation. And we did. And a couple months later, I had 12 women in my living room. And now we're several thousand women all over the world. Um, but we've we've really were, you know, we were called on all the time as the women of the community. We were the mothers of the community when there was something going on, you know, when the when the Wisconsin um, Sikh Gudwara was there was a massacre there. We were we, you know, we, we responded spontaneously and we were on their, you know, in their parking lot with about, you know, three, 400 people with candles, you know, we would mobilize the community to show up in prayer. We were invited into um, panel, onto panel discussions and we did a lot of community events through uh, all the colleges and universities uh, in that area. Um, we did a weekend of community service, which I call uh, covert interfaith community building. <laughs> I like that. What we would do is we would mix <laughs> up different faiths and we'd say, go, you guys go clean the beach and you guys go pack food at the food pantry and you guys do this. And we collected food in front of supermarkets. We collected ton literally tons of food every weekend. Mm. Um, and um, of course, it was gone by Tuesday when we delivered it on Sunday, sadly. But anyway, we, we did that for about seven years so oh gosh we present all over the world um yeah so it, we just kind of grew organically N no way did i design this all i did was get out of the way and and provide us a, a, a living room for or family room for circle conversations and we let the circle show us who we were it's really, and it still continues to blow my mind. Now we're do we just got off of a series, a year-long series, addressing the Beijing Twelve Critical Areas of Concern out of the United Nations, the UN Women's um, Beijing Platform for Change, which are issues, uh, twelve issues that uh, address all the issues there for and by women. So that's on our website, um, and and. Yeah, we, we've taken a little bit of an ebb year because we flowed so heavily. Now we're kind of taking a little break, which is perfect timing for me Absolutely. to do this work. So, yeah, that's a mouthful. And you can tell I'm kind of in love with Sarah um, still. Sandy Hart, my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking about the liminal odyssey here on the program as we talk about new paradigms for a new world. We're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., streaming live at those times 
at richarddugan.com. Uh, don't forget about the special edition, which is on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. And uh, we have podcasts. They're on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeart, uh, let's see, Amazon Music, and we're on YouTube where you can watch these interviews. I hope you will. I uh, do a little producing up at the front and the back ends, but for the most part, we go straight on through and let you hear what our guests have to say. In this case, uh, we're talking with Sandy Hart, who uh, also serves <clears throat> on the Women's Task Force for Parliament for the Parliament of the World's Religions, as well as the founder and, of course, uh, serves as the director for the international organization, the Charter for Compassions, I think I've got that right, Compassions Women and Girls Sector. And uh, it's really a pleasure to have you with us here on the program today. Um, <clears throat> I was born and raised into a family, a total of eight Mother, father, four sisters, and one brother. So I've been living in what I like to call, although they will not say that it was a matriarchy. Um, if you're outnumbered, do you know you kind of lean that way? And it's not to say that they threw their weight around. Don't get me wrong. That, that's, that wasn't the point. But I learned a lot. Maybe it's part of the reason why I have the... Eh, fairly, fairly good understanding of uh, where uh, where things are going and and what's happening, and I know too, uh, Sandy, that you would agree that uh, the women of the world, let alone the women of this country, are not looking to take over, but they're looking to collaborate, to join forces with the masculine, the feminine with the masculine. Kind of like the, uh, oh, shoot, what is that Chinese symbol? The yin and the yang, yang. that's it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and kind of spin together, you know, to, to work together. Because up to this point, if I can state this uh, correctly, it's pretty much been uh, a, boy's, uh, a boy's, boy's world, you know? And, sure. um, you know, I, so, so I just sit here going, you know what? I wouldn't mind if this was all run by women because it might be done a whole lot better, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't for the women to take over. And I think that, do you think that that's the fear on the part of a lot of men, especially, who are in positions of power, in positions of control and authority? They think that the women are here to take over. You know, I think men have been victimized by the system of domination and patriarchy as to a large degree of how women have. They are subject to the machismo condition. Um, and um, yeah, and they've suffered. Um, I don't know if it's, I, I can't speak if men are afraid of women taking over. I just know that there is a rising movement of compassionate men in the world. And those conditions that you mentioned of collaborating, cooperating, synthesizing, those are all feminine pro uh, conditions. Those are all feminine values. That's not gender specific. Feminine does not mean women and, and masculine does not refer to male. You know, it's not gender. 
It's the divine masculine and the divine feminine that we want to spin together. Although women need to be with women and men need to be with men. That's what Carl Jung referred to as I think I got this right, anima and animas. You know, the 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 importance of men to find their divine feminine and women to balance their masculine. So I can get it why, you know, look at the last feminist movement of the um of the 70s and 80s. You know, no more toys for the boys and pounding the pavement, ripping off our bar our, our bras and refusing to cook. You know, that that's sort of, you know, we're just matching that same masculine energy. We're not we're, yeah. we're just replacing it. Of yeah. course we make strides as women. But you know, it's interesting because in 2005, I think it was, I was invited to Harvard University. I mean, that was talk about mind blowing um, for a conference on the women's interfaith movement post 9-11 initiative. And referring to the fact what Diana Eck, who is the director of religious studies, was exploring as the women's interfaith movement being the next wave of feminism. And I think she was partially right. Um, and it, the, this next wave of feminism is the same as what we appeal to, what appeals to the interfaith community, and that's that we are appealing to our higher and our deeper value systems. It's not just women, and it's not just interfaith. Um, here's another uh, kind of another thought in that in that regard. Um, the the quantum revolution of the turn of the century, the, the beginning of the 20th century. Um, where it was discovered quantum physics, right? And we came to understand this, um, the, a new understanding of the universe, that we live in a mental universe, that the universe is, um, is you know, is a billion times some, um, its parts, you know? It's just uh, remarkable, the discovery, right? Well, physicists are considering the era we are moving into as a second quantum revolution because hmm. now um they're starting to see an expansion of the spaces in between those quantum materials which is resulting in us being more um responsive with our language being more aware become coming into more of our bodies and i think it's really our minds catching up with our spirituality hmm. I think that's what's really happening. You know, one of the things that I have noticed just within myself is my changing perspectives on relationships. Uh, I mean, I have I have queried this for many years in regards to, for example, uh, uh, death and dying and, um, say, close family members. Uh, relatives, friends, acquaintances, and people I don't even know. And the only time it seems that we are, uh, that I am affected is when I am um, deeply involved in a relationship with them. Now, that could be my brother, could be my parents, could be my best friend. Hi, I always love to say this, who I've known for over 50 years. <laughs> Uh, we've been together through grade school, high school, and college. Anyway, and just recently, I experienced something that I thought was going to be more, I don't know, devastating, more heart-wrenching, more something in the grieving process. 
I, I lost my eldest sister to cancer. Now, she was only 65. I'm 62. And she passed back, uh, back on the uh, uh, 29th of March. And I went back to Phoenix uh, in, in April when they had the memorial. And I sat there and I watched the slide presentation, both of them and so forth. And I had the tears and I had the laughter. It was the best. I, I have to tell you, it was one of the best memorials I'd ever been to. And I haven't been to that many. Thank you. Best balance of laughter and tears. Oh, it was wonderful. But I didn't get hit in the face with something that I you know, like, oh, why, oh, why her and why? I mean, you know, the, the whole real, and I'm not criticizing anybody for going through the real deep, deep, heart-wrenching emotions and tears and moaning and groaning. And because if that's what you need to do, do it. But it didn't hit me that way because I have never believed that a person who dies is really gone. They're just not in that vehicle anymore, you know? I mean, my very first car, a 1973 Plymouth Fury 3. Well, I don't drive that anymore, nor the next car, which was a 1998 uh, Chevy Metro, or the car after that, or the, and so But I'm still here, you know? So she's still here. And I tagged this programs out by recognizing and acknowledging her, too. What about that aspect of these dynamics that we, we get, I don't know if the word is correct or not, but I do know that in the United States in particular, let's just maybe say the West, we do not want to deal with this subject at all. Mm -hmm. And it also prevents us with dealing with the death of not a person, but a situation it's it, it goes to i think your uh your your concept of the um liminal odyssey that when you cross that threshold there is a death if you will right yeah yeah well i mean if you look at most any myths that have a story of a hero that ultimately might die or somebody dies um and comes back to life this might sound familiar to you if you're a Christian, from death comes life. And this is something our early agrarian relatives, ancestors understood, that if they put a seed in the ground, mm -hmm. it would have to die. It's going to fall apart. Like I said earlier, it's going to disintegrate. It's going to become, it's just going to fall apart. So something new can come. Um, and that's the derivation probably of where we, why we bury our dead. Yeah. Right? By the way, I oh, found yeah. it. I found it interesting. Someone was convert. I was conversing with them, and we were talking a little bit about some of the Christian philosophy, especially the Rapture, and how uh, probably the, the, most of the attitude is uh, you you want to be buried, you know, because you want your body to be intact, and on and on and on and on at the Rapture. And it's like, wait a minute, hold it. It says ashes to ashes, dust to dust. When you bury someone in the ground, the body is going to decay, and over the course of a number of years. There's nothing left but bones. So what difference does it make if you're cremated or buried or <laughs> or set out to sea, for that matter? Uh, because this 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 thing here, uh, in a manner of speaking, is sort of kind of irrelevant. That's not to say we shouldn't take care of it. 
I wash my car regularly. I make sure that the oil's changed regularly. Check the tire pressure, blah, 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 blah. Because I want it to last a long time. I don't want to have to buy another one right away. I don't have any spare parts for this thing. <laughs> I'm losing parts. I just had my gallbladder removed a year ago. Okay? Um, so, <laughs> uh, and I, I have two teeth that are missing. I'm waiting to get replaced. But... Um, it's like th this is not what's real. And you talked about how we moved into the area of quantum physics, right? Uh, which frustrates the bejeebers out of me because I'm going, what was wrong with the old physics? I mean, why can't you just incorporate what you're calling quantum into physics so we don't have confusion? Because I got to tell you, there are times when I'm very confused uh, about these, these concepts. So talk to us a little bit about all of this in terms of our understanding of who we really are. Ah. Um, well, <laughs> first, I, I, I failed to express my, my sympathy, so I'm sorry about the loss of your sister, and um, how we, the choices we make and how we process things are very different. Everybody has a different process, and that goes to your point of your question, who we are. Mm-hmm. Who we are, you know, first of all, our body is our communication system. Yeah, yes, we absolutely, to your point, we have to care for it. Yeah. It's it's our temple. It's our it's our our rental, right? We have to care for it. <laughs> I like that rental. Uh and You're I, I kind of like enterprise. It's it's kind of a nice place to rent from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you want it to last a long time. Um and um and you don't get to move on to another one if you outgrow it or something. So mm. you got to make peace with it. And 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 I don't want to brush over the fact that our body um, is our is our is the vehicle in which our soul gets to drive. Yes. If we show up in our soul's purpose, what did our? I think every. So who are we? I think every single one of us, every one of us, with no one's exempt from this, by the way. Um, everyone's soul came, landed here, especially right now at this evolutionary growth spurt we're in, with a divine assignment. Mm -hmm. So who are we? That's what we get to figure out. For me, that's what the liminal odyssey is about. It's an op, it's like, I don't like the word guidebook because I'm not an expert in any of the skills I mentioned. I'm only an expert in my own life. That's why telling my true stories in the book was so important. Um, and these are tried and true. They have merits, scientific, uh, indigenous knowledge, you know, well thought and, and researched and explored theories that were given to me in most cases by those people themselves who either either are experts in them or devise them themselves. And I've done a lot of work with the indigenous grandmothers too. a lot of indigenous wisdom here that comes to, from them. Um, and what, what I do with that information makes me who I am. So that is for me, um, the importance of this book for me is that I can really, um, I can really continue to explore who I am. Mm. 
you know, and as long as I'm living in my authentic integrity, as long as I am living according to my highest and deepest value systems, as long as I'm paying attention to those moments in between, as long as I am, you know, surrounding myself with people who love me, why else would I surround myself with anybody else? Yeah. Um, and serve me. And if not, there's something there. What have I got to learn from them? Yeah. Everything is a lesson. And to your point about death, and that was, I'm so glad you brought that up. We don't do death well. No, no. We don't do death on choice in, in, you know, situations that happen, you know, something didn't work out my way or somebody died or relationship is just, it, it cannot be fixed, you know? Um, death of a mil of a, a hundred different, you know, by a hundred different means. <laughs> um, but death of the body, death of a loved one, actually the passing on of, of losing a loved one in that way. And we lose them, we lose their body and the, that, that dimension of relationship. Um, we, in the United States, particularly in the Western world, you know, we don't, we don't do death well. This is where death doulas come in really handy. And I have to tell you, if you don't mind me sharing this, um, when my my mom died about three years ago, and um, and when she was dying, and it was a very long death, um, and she had to mention she was gone by this part uh, at this point. Um, but while she was laying there for about two weeks, really, at some point, we just thought she stopped breathing, but then she came in for another breath of air, and then we didn't see her breathing for five more minutes, which is the weirdest thing. I sat at her bedside for hours, just fascinating, fascinated by what she was going through. You know, I've given birth, I've had children, and the process of coming into this world is a wild experience. So why would it be any different leaving, right? Mm. It's gotta be fascinating. What is going on in the mind? Where's the body going? Where is she right now? Where's her thoughts? I, She was constantly reaching out, which I know a lot of people do when they die. There's there's others there waiting to come get her, but that fascination, I would, I would have sat there and cried for my own loss. Yeah. But I was, you know, I saw this as her process. Everything dies. Yeah. So yeah. it was her process and it became it was such a beautiful experience. Mm. And I'm so grateful because I had a doula that taught me that. Yeah. My father um said to me once, uh, eat, drink, and be merry in moderation, because nobody gets out of this world alive. And I've taken that to heart. Uh, I've been through a couple of, of situations. As I mentioned, my, I had my gallbladder removed. Um, I, you know, I'm losing parts, you know, nothing, nothing serious, fortunately, you know, but, but still parts that I guess just are not um, necessary. I found out that, yeah, you know, you don't want to lose your gallbladder, but if you do, it's no big deal. Uh, or and I asked them, okay, so the appendix, the same thing. Could you take it out at the same time? And they said, I'm sorry, we don't do twofers. But the one thing that fascinates me, has always fascinated me, is when someone passes, the first thought that I go to is, I wonder what they're experiencing. What are they doing now? What's happening? And I even thought of that, thought of that uh, after I had received the phone call that morning. And I actually debated for about half a second as to whether or not to conduct an interview that I had coming up in about 30 minutes from that phone call. And I did. I went ahead and I did the interview. 
uh, I, I don't know, it was, well, the show must go on, you know, and um, but I thought and we incorporated some of what what was happening. And of course, it was obviously it was extremely early. I mean, we're talking only maybe a half hour to an hour uh, since I had been given the news. Well, mm-hmm. I, I, I I was really ticked off when Michael Jackson passed because he passed away the day before my, I think it was my 50th birthday, something like that. And I was like, ah, oh, he took the wind out of my sails, you son of a gun, you. But I still wondered what was he doing? What was happening with him? Or I, I don't know if now when you leave the body, if you become it, you know, there's no gender anymore, you know, it's neutral. Uh, and no pronouns. Thank you. <laughs> um, and I'm not saying that to say I don't agree. I just when I hear that, I say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to refer you to is him or her, it or they or them. What's your name? What is your name? Tell me your name. Uh, my guest's name is Sandy, Sandy Hart. Her book is The uh, Liminal Odyssey, and we certainly hope you'll pick up a copy. We're going to be linked to her website, which is liminalodyssey.com. That's L-I-M-I-N-A-L-O-D-Y-S-S-E-Y.com. It's the alchemical power of the spaces between, and we kind of have spaces between, here on Tell Me Your Story. Those spaces between that we talk about here on the program are usually those spaces between the words or the sentences, the paragraphs, the statements, uh, where we kind of sit there and ponder, hmm, that's interesting. And, of course, you don't want to have very long spaces uh, in, in radio or the podcast. Video's okay because, you know, you're still kind of moving around, so they know that the video didn't lock up or something. But I remember Sandy, Sandy Hart, my guest here on the program, uh, talking about her book, The Liminal Odyssey. I was in a van with some friends. Oh, my gosh, this, this is going back 40 years And we had just traveled to a metaphysical church or service, if you will, uh, I want to say in uh, Tempe or Mesa or something like that, uh, out just south of Phoenix. And as we're driving back, I don't know, it just hit me, this song that I, I just started singing this song. And I was singing it, of course, loud enough for everybody else to hear, which is sort of opposite of how I usually am when it comes to singing a kind of little it's kind of ironic I'm a little shy about singing in front of a bunch of people solo but I got no problem with this Uh, I don't know there's a certain element I guess of vulnerability when you sing as opposed to speak but there I was I don't want to offend anybody (laughs) well there you go that's probably it too yes exactly and I'm singing this song and a dear friend um, uh, whose name was Shari she um, she said to me when I was finished with the song, she says, um, "Why don't you why don't you allow there more space between the 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 lines?" I said, "I don't understand. What do you mean?" And she says, um, "You know that that it's the spaces between, not just yeah. the words, but say each of the lines and say the chorus or the verse that really add emphasis to those words." And um, and I had never really thought of it that way before. Is that part of this whole business of the spaces between 
that adds, so to speak, punctuates those things on either side of the between, uh, in, in the middle, between. It's the space in between the notes of the music. It's the rhythm of the, the, the space of the rhythm and the tango. It's the, it's the cadence of a poem. Um, it's, and this is actually what the meaning of the ideogram, the Ch Japanese ideogram ma, M-A, which is symbolized by the sun between two gates to repre represent, it's known as nothingness, but it's really everythingness. Mm -hmm. um, I write about this in the book about timefulness. This is a word I coined, timefulness, which is what you're referring to, the timefulness, which gives meaning to the things on either side. In the in the in the Torah, you know, first five books of Moses that's in every synagogue, handwritten by a scribe on scrolls. I think everybody has seen mm -hmm. the Torah. Yeah. Or a picture of Torah. If you were to look at a Torah, every Torah that is written is written intentionally with a certain amount of space in between every letters, every letter, and a space along the edges at the border of the page that are precise and exact and intentional. And it was this, you know, told to me by my rabbi, but if you ask a Jew two questions, you'll get four answers. So everybody <laughs> has a different <laughs> But it makes such great sense that when the scribe who has to study his whole life to become a scribe, he has to know like 4,000 Jewish laws before he can actually pick up a quill to write the, the pen, the, the Torah. Um, my, I believe that he's really breathing the universal truth into the spaces in between, because it, at least according to Judaism, we are encouraged to look into those spaces. Those are just words written by man, according to Judaism. It's the spaces in between that are left, God left for us to explore. This is why Jews argue so much. <laughs> and the very famous picture of Jews, yeah, because we're encouraged to argue and question everything. Yeah. And so, um, and that's that very famous picture of all those rabbis arguing over the Torah, pointing fingers at each other. Yeah. That is what they're doing. Well, and one of the, it one has of, to have meaning to you. Yeah. Well, yeah. one of the things that, that I, I remember from the Old Testament, uh, it basically says, and I don't know book, chapter, verse, I'm very sorry, ladies and gentlemen, let us sit down and reason together. Now, you, you could still say that even with the pointing of the fingers, they're still reasoning together because they're not trying to kill each other. They're all trying to understand. Right. And there's a big difference between each one of them saying, my way is right and your way is wrong. <laughs> Good. <It's>, Good <laughs> <laughs> I have to tell you, some of my favorite conversations, and I've had many, uh, several rabbis on this program. I love those conversations because I have an awareness, not a, a pure knowledge, but an awareness of how much study it takes to become a rabbi. Yeah. It is not an easy process. You might as well become a doctor. Maybe you can become a, a doctor rabbi. I don't know. Anyway. Um, yeah, and you, they're there to oh. lead us to our own understanding of what the what what's there. Yeah. 
that's a hard thing for a teacher to do. And that's yeah. what rabbi means. It's it, a teacher. Exactly. So how do you, a teacher says, okay, here's it, here's what it all is. And here's my perspective, but what's yours? Yeah. And, you know, as long as it's rooted in there certain yeah. values and, you know, rules and all rooted, like every religion as an interfaith activist, this is, this is what it all boils down to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Every world religion has that same philosophy. Yeah. It's just the words move around, you know, it's yeah. you know, just a, at the one sentence, it says the same thing. Yeah. Sarah Hart is my guest. Her book is the, uh, it is the, it is a book on, uh, it's an odyssey that you can take. And we're going to talk more about the liminal odyssey here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have Sarah Hart with us here on the program to share her perspective as she was sharing just a little while ago that, hey, you know, I see this and you see that and I tell you what is not what I think it is. But what do you think it is? And uh, I'm I'm fascinated uh, certainly by uh, the ancient wisdom teachings, including the Torah, including uh, what, of course, is Christians, uh, the Old Testament and then the New Testament. But I'm also fascinated by some of uh, the questions that I come up with based upon what I have read. Uh, we were talking about death and dying earlier, and Paul in the Gospels, uh, in the epistle says, uh, it is appointed to every man once to die and then the judgment. Okay, got it. I, I understand that. That makes perfect sense. What doesn't make sense is the story of Lazarus. And so then the question I have is, is Paul wrong or was Lazarus not dead? I.e., what is the definition of death in what? the first century? I mean, you know, there's something not quite right here. And then you and I both know that in our in the, our present day medical community, we have a definition of death. And usually it has to do with when there's a lack of, of brain waves that they can they can monitor with whatever to say use. Uh, and yet people come back from the dead. I mean, we're not even getting, get, going to get into the stories they tell of their experience. That's a, that's a whole other program. But I just find it so fascinating. It's, again, it goes back to what you were saying before. What's your perspective? How, what do you think? And what's so interesting is that it is true that every single human being can have their own perspective. All 8 billion people, because no two people have lived the exact same lives, so we have all kinds of different filters that we have put on based upon what we've experienced in this life up to this point. Right. Right. We're all experts in our own, in our own lives. Yeah. That's all. That we so can. when someone comes up to you and says, uh, Sandy, I, I don't think you're saved, ready to meet God. Uh, uh, and I've had that said to me while working at the Christian radio station. I don't yeah. think you're saved, Richard. And I'm just sitting here going, Wait a minute, but you just said on the air that it was a personal relationship with God. How is it that you're involved in my personal relationship? I always find that so humorous that other people have to go out and quote unquote try to save souls. And I just I, sit, I sit there I, thinking, I, why don't you just live your life and be yeah. an example instead of pushing the issue because that pushes people away sometimes it sure does i think um 
I I, I want to believe that it's rooted in love, that they're doing it not to be manipulative, that they truly believe in their heart that this is what is going to be the best thing for me. Uh, and and they can think anything they want. Yeah. I, I am pretty comfortable in how I feel. Yeah. I've had Jehovah Witness come to my door and I said, I'll be happy to talk to you. But the minute you start proselytizing, I mean, I'll feed you. You want to take a load off? You've been walking the neighborhoods. Take, you know, kick your feet up. I'll give you something cold to drink. You know, I did that with Mormon missionaries. And they here's a great story. It's also in the book. They, they, all my stories are in the book. They were the, these young men in their white shirts and black ties were walking back to their bikes on the sidewalk. Um, they noticed I had a, a, a thing of a shelf of heart-shaped rocks everywhere. And they said, What's, what are these? And they were kind of fascinated by them. And I said, sit back down. And I told them my, <laughs> what my, my, you know, look and you shall find philosophy. And do you know that those two young men who I gave lots of lemonade to, they were definitely hungry, um, uh, and pita chips, I think, um, <laughs> um, you know, those two young men came back about a week or so later, a couple of weeks later, and they had each gone out and found me a heart-shaped rock. Oh, wow. And they said, don't please. And I, I have those. I know where those rocks are, too. Um, they go, please don't tell. Because they knew. I had heard that I was friends with the bishop in their ward. And um, I said, he goes, but please don't tell Bishop Tom. And I outed him anyway. Because I learned that they're out learning about the world. They're not just proselytizing. Yeah. So... I, everybody has their own journey, Richard. I think everybody has their own story, their own confluence of experiences, their own, what make up the fiber of who they are. This is where forgiveness is a great entry point into a conversation. Mm -hmm. we, all have, we all are, we all just are this, you know, this chemical collection, if you will, of all of these things that have happened to us in our life and our upbringing and the baggage we carry from ancestral trauma and whatever makes up who we are and how we think. Um, and we've all got, we've all, you know, I think our soul's purpose is to help us figure it all out so we can ultimately get to what that seed is supposed to be doing. You know, That's one of the most gratifying experiences that I have had not only doing this program, but also the conversations that I would have with uh, the people who would come into the radio station back in Phoenix at the Christian station that I would have conversations with, were those who were curious, even though they had their beliefs, they had their doctrine and dogma that, that they adhered to or, you know, that they said that they followed and so forth— I interviewed a gentleman on this program many years ago, born-again, fundamentalist, evangelical Christian, who actually practiced out-of-body experiences. And one of the questions that I asked him was, where in the Bible does it give you permission, if you will, to do that? He says, nowhere. And I, I, was, I was in awe of the man because he was willing to, as the saying goes, step outside the nine dots and experience something. And I said, have you ever wanted not to come back? He said, oh, no, no, I've always wanted to come back, but not out of fear. Just I wasn't I knew I wasn't ready. It wasn't my time, mm -hmm. even though he would have the opportunity not to come back. And so what that told me was, oh, my God, there is hope. 
There is hope that people will not stay locked in. It's just like you said, every person has their own. For example, every Jew believes in Judaism a little differently. And every Christian, the same thing. And every Muslim and every Buddhist and the list goes on. Um, one of my favorite sayings uh, that I learned when I was a Baha'i in the early 1990s. I was a Baha'i for, nine, for uh, a year and a half. And one of my favorite lines or quotes from Baha'u'llah was, if you reject one of the messengers of God, you reject them all. If right. you accept one of the messengers of God, you accept them all. And I know that you as a Jew do accept that Jesus was a messenger of God. Uh, I don't know if he was the Messiah. I don't know if the Old Testament gave us all the details to say, yeah, this is the guy. Because what I find interesting is, what was the reason why Mary and Joseph were going to Bethlehem? The reason was because they were going to f put their names down for the census to be counted. Right. But there's no record as far as I have been able to find of them at that time. Now, I, I may be wrong, but I haven't heard of any, any, any uh, census, uh, any documentation proving that they actually did in the first century sign the scrolls, if you will, saying, yep, uh, we are originally from uh, Bethlehem and, and uh, the baby, you know, uh, Jesus the carpenter, uh, you know, it's like, well, wait a minute. Uh, wh wh why aren't they there? Well, because uh, Herod, they said, ah, I'm going to kill them all up to two years. And they hit the road, you know, took their show on the road, so to speak. I just find it interesting, you know, that, that there's so much information out there that we, we don't know. And we speculate. I, 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 I do the same. I speculate. I was going to ask you, <laughs> and, and it actually, I'm not going to say it's a stupid question because I don't believe that there are any stupid questions, but it's certainly a question that's kind of odd. For you, what's it like being a Jew, especially a female? Because what is, what, is your, what is your perceived role in Judaism as opposed to, say, the men, the males? Well, you were partially right when you said um, that in Judaism, everybody has a little different of a flavor. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, that that flavor is radically different because there's there's Kabbalistic, there's Reform, there's Reconstructionist, then there's ultra-Orthodox ultra, ultra and... You it know, sounds like Christianity. La, 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 <laughs> you know, the very dogmatic yeah. and, you know, structured and women have to cover their hair. For me, I find... Um, I find Judaism for me and I love the Baha'i faith and I love Islam and I love Christianity. Um, I call Jesus in my meditation, um, the, and self-realization and, you know, oh, yes. what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, there's something for everyone yet. Um, for me and my religion, which is also tradition and lineage and bloodline is, um, is it's impeccable for me because of the opportunity to uh, explore my own understanding of what it means. Now, there's a lot of it. To, I cannot, I can't get past some pages on the in the Torah. 
it just doesn't make sense to me. Mm-hmm. I love the ritual. I love the process. Mm. I love the beautiful. I love to light the candles on Shabbat. I love to have a cell. I love to have a holiday once a week where I get to just really unplug. Oh, that's I mean, cool. we all can. You don't need to be Jewish to do that. Right. Um, so I find a lot of meaning in that, um, in that, I guess, um, you know, the agency I have over my own belief system mm-hmm. um, and the community, you know, um, you know, it's just we're all people anywhere. But, you know, when I go to when I go to services, when I look for a congregation, I usually go to the Centers for Spiritual Living or Unity Church, <laughs> you know, or Self-Realization Fellowship, mm-hmm. you know, because I just, I kind of vibe with that mm. tribe, you know, <laughs> vibe with that tribe. Yeah. But, um, but, but I still love my Judaism and the melodies and, um, and, you know, just the tradition, just to know that I'm part of a lineage, Yeah. you know, and I'm carrying on that bloodline. So as my daughter is, and now my granddaughter. Wonderful. Sarah Hart's my, Sandy Hart's my yeah, guest. Sarah I love is, it. Can I just say Sarah, thank you for calling me Sarah? Everybody calls me Sarah because <laughs> of the organization. I have, I take no offense to it. I Good. just want people to be able to find me if you want me. So. <laughs> well, but here's the beautiful thing though. Sarah yes. is part of the work that you're doing, Spiritual and Religious Alliance for Hope. So uh, it, it does fit because you founded it. It, it, yeah, it yeah, came yeah. from you. So that's a beautiful thing. And we are here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And I thank you so much for being with us. Sarah, Sarah, I did it again. Uh, okay. And I know you're not offended, but uh, I, I, I will tell you that it is to me the height of disrespect when people do not refer to the person by their name or mispronounce their name. So it's easy to say Sandy, uh, although I know you have it misspelled because it's supposed to end with a Y. But hey, that's another story. <laughs> I what here's what I know, for example, about Hebrew. And this goes to the point of the power of words. I know that each one of the 22 letters of the alphabet has its own legend. Mm. And when you put each of those letters together into a word, it then creates a new legend. Colors, sounds, vibration, mm. and so forth. Story. Words together in sentences, together in paragraphs, chapters, book. Here's the part of the whole issue of the power of words. What is sad is that when it's translated out of the Hebrew, all of that's gone. Hmm. And I remember in a conversation with a rabbi, yes, and we were talking about one of the laws, one of the 613 laws, Jewish laws in the Old Testament. He said, do you know the context under which this was written? Why this was put down? I said, no, I, I, I really don't. And he explained to me the context, not what the law meant, but the reason behind it. <laughs> and when I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it, I thought, well, wait a minute. If the context was this, and here we are in the 21st century, and it had to do with reproduction, um, I'm mm-hmm. going... I don't see how man has interfered with the reproductive process because back then there were maybe, uh, because I did a little research on populations over the centuries, maybe there were a million people on the planet at that time. 
There are 8 billion people on the planet now. Have we really violated that law? I don't think so, Tim. You know? Oh, that was another thing I was going to mention, too. You talk about men spending time with men and women with women in, in, wow. in community and so forth. And I hated the fact that Tim Allen got so castigated over his, you know, men spending time with men and men are pigs and all that kind of stuff. And I loved those jokes. They were really funny because they were, they were actually true. They weren't just stereotypes. They were true. He wasn't anti-woman. He was pro-man saying guys need to spend time with other guys. I had a men's group in the early 90s. Oh, really? And we would go high. There were only three of us. But we would go hiking. We used uh, Robert Bly's Iron John as our, our sort of our primer, Talk to, especially talking about the catabasis, because one was going through a divorce. One had been in divorce. I was the only married one at the time. <laughs> but um, it, it's like when guys get together, uh, and I remember hearing stories from uh, John Denver's uh, uh, autobiography where he talked about how he would go out into the wilderness with other men for kind of like a, you know, a, a, a journey quest or whatever they, whatever they call them. And, and, you know, you come back with stuff that now you can share with your partner or your community. And, and I thought, wow, that's, that is so profound and, and so true that, that, that needs to be, I take it that you uh, are able to bring those experiences when you're having your get-togethers with all of these different um, women's groups and what have you. When you come back home, you, you've got this, this sort of overflowing, uh, you know, I don't know if, if you have the opportunity where you can sit there and share, well, oh, we did this and I experienced that and, and we talked about and da-da-da-da-da-da. And I have this understanding of uh, what about your relationship in that regard? Yeah. My husband's wonderful, and I don't actually, in most cases, never came home because the meetings were always at my house, and he was sequestered upstairs, but he knew when everybody left, there was always so much food. Um, <laughs> so we would sit around, he'd help me clean up or what have you, or we'd talk about the next day. Um, and yeah, he's, you know, he, I, you know, and, and I also tell this story how, you know, I knew what I was looking for when I was praying to find him. Mm. I didn't know it was him, of course, but you know, for the condition of my relationship, what yeah. I wanted to be. And I was very specific about what I was when I got very specific, he showed up. So he is divine feminine, sacred listening, embodied. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm pretty lucky. He's pretty lucky. Yeah. We're pretty lucky. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and he has really given me a lot of latitude. He's supported financially because a lot of, uh, I don't get paid for much of this stuff. So, um, you know, he's been ex nothing but supportive and wonderful because he gets it. He gets what we're talking about here. You know, um, yeah. he's already there <laughs> in terms of evolutionary thinking. He understands mm -hmm. that money isn't, what's really important here what's really important is that i found a passion and i get to live it out exactly i have learned that when my wife has had a particular experience away and we get back together again i never ever ask any questions i wait for her in her timing to share uh -huh. with me and if she doesn't 
and I look at it this way. Whatever experience she had in one sense, that's none of my business. That's her business. Ah, lovely. And I think that, that uh, you know, where I, I, well, we see this all the time, not only in uh, television and movies, but in real life where, you know, the woman comes back and, and the guy is all over her like, well, what'd you do? And who'd you talk to? And da, da, da. And it's like, wait a minute. She isn't my property. You know, that's why I hate using the phrase my wife. I, I just like, yeah, uh, just because it just it I, I, I'm not possessive in that sense. Um, in spite of the vows that we have ta- that we took when we were married uh, in 2002. Um, you know, she doesn't belong to me possessively and vice versa. She's a free moral agent. She can come and go as she pleases. Uh, and 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 I have the same I have the same uh, position as well. Now that's not to say that you know I don't say anything if I'm going to go somewhere. Certainly, um, but I think that that's one of the areas for me anyway. That I don't know. That's when I was asking you earlier about how relationships have changed over the decades, especially in this in this in the in the 20th century to the 21st, where the roles of men and women. Uh, have I think they have evolved. There are some that are struggling with this evolutionary process. They don't like it because they want to stay in control. But it's like I, I've never had any control over my first wife, let alone my present wife and and vice versa. Um, so, you know, it's 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 like a line in a, a, a song. Um, uh, I love her enough to let her go if that's what she wants to do then that's what she should do to be happy. And that's really my goal. I want her to be happy. Now, that's not excluding my happiness. Don't get me wrong, you know, because I'm taking care of me as well. But I just want her to be happy. And I I take it that you and your husband are kind of the same way. Oh, totally. Absolutely. You know, um, that is that is really important. You know, so many um, people up until I think this shift that we're embarking upon, according to physics and uh, our physicists, I should say, and future thinkers and my whole tribe, um, that we've been walking through what's considered with Dr. Rianne Eisler, who wrote The Chalice and the Blade and The Real Wealth of Nations and Sacred Pleasure, which I highly recommend we all read. Um, I've read it three times, read it, it's so good. Um, It um, calls it the domination trance. We've all been going through this condition, you know, kind of it from that, that father knows best women aren't as equipped to handle things. And then that that's shifted in the feminist movement. And I think what's happening right now is in this great awakening, this quantum, you know, revolution, you know, part two is we are waking up to the reality and questioning assumptions of the way things used to be. Yeah. And that's a really big part of the liminal odyssey. Question assumptions, pay attention to your language, right? you mentioned that more than a few times on our, with our time here together, paying attention to the language we use, because that's just communication energy. 
That's just expressing what we thought, think. So we have to think carefully and use our words carefully. You know that architects and home builders don't use the word master for describing a master bedroom anymore? Oh, really? Primary. Because master um, carries that yeah. domination, you know, right. of course, slavery and all that. Sure. Um, um, you know, there's a lot of language that needs to be redone. I love, and you'll see this throughout the book, I write careful, care-full, thoughtful. When we think in those terms, the way we, and we'll speak in those ways. And when we do that, you know what ultimately happens? We shift culture. Because hmm. culture is nothing more than a collective agreement by all its citizens. So how I behave which is rooted in how I think and speak. So think and speak carefully. <laughs> I could not agree with you more. It really ties into the concept that I have been focused on and that I actually write about in my book, Choices, uh, that words have power. And I, I, you know, I've thought about this uh, many years ago. We had a gentleman running for governor in Arizona, and he was a car salesman. And uh, the, his opponent, he, um, in the primaries, his opponent uh, had had a, a, a legal issue that had been resolved 10 years earlier. But this guy brought it up. This guy decided that he's going to dredge this up in spite of the fact that it had been resolved and nobody was bothering to check. And uh, he managed to win the primary. And uh, I would share this this with people how i would say wait a minute um this isn't right you know words have power and 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 uh, you know he what he just did that was that was not only unkind but it was unethical and they said oh stop it richard you're being naive uh it's just politics and it's like no it's not it's not just politics there's an intent there and the intent is to win the votes to sit on that particular seat uh, to have the power to do whatever it is that this person wanted to do. So there is no um, dismissing the words that were used to undermine one of his candidates. That's one of the reasons why when whenever I hear a politician uh, in, during a campaign talking uh, and they start to put down their opponent, I'm done with them. I will not I no, you've lost my vote. You should be talking exclusively about what you are going to do and how you are going to change things. Don't worry about your opponent. It's like with me and operations managerships that I've had over the years, the 40 years I've been in this business. I never care about the op I never care about the opposition or if you will, or the competition, the other radio stations. I don't care what they're doing. I want us to be better today than we were yesterday and i want us to be better tomorrow than we were today you know and that's that's my perspective and one other point is for example sandy i want you to be successful in delivering the message of your book uh the um, uh, liminal odyssey because if you're successful then i'm successful but not until that makes you a spiritual activist. You're operating in an in, um, enlightened self-interest because what you do by being your full integrity self 
is making the world better, is making me better. Yeah. So I'm ben- I when others benefit and when the planet benefits, because everybody benefits, you are a spiritual activist. Mm. Well, thank you for that. And uh, thank you so much for being with us here on the program. Sandy Hart, my guest here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And before we wrap things up, Sandy, you have a special offer that you wanted to make available to our listeners. Yeah. I and viewers, love- my, by the way. Uh, thank you. Um, I would love to offer everybody a discount on the book. If you go to liminalodyssey.com and it's you'll see listen buy shop i think is what it says Mm -hmm. you'll figure it out um and and you and uh use the promo code richard d all no space in between the richard and the d there's no liminal space in there (laughs) (laughs) Uh, the richard d and and then i'll get you a little discount free shipping and then there's also an introductory workshop coming up a play shop i call it uh, coming up on the 28th that I'd love to offer your your listeners or viewers for free. And that's the same promo code. Oh, wonderful. Well, we'll definitely look into that and uh, encourage folks to go to your website. Again, it is liminalodyssey.com. And we will be linked to that website uh, so that people can uh, find out more about you and the work you're doing. Get a copy of your book at a discount, folks. Very nice. I really appreciate that. Before I let you go, in addition to thanking you for being on the program, I do have three final questions that I like to ask you. I ask all of my guests. But before I do, I want to address you, the listener and the viewer, and say thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. We are giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m., 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. We stream live at those times at richarddugan.com. We have podcasts. They are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And we are also on YouTube where you can watch these videos. And the only reason I ask you to subscribe is so you are notified every time a new podcast or video cast is uploaded. And that's the only reason. I'm not interested in increasing my subscriber number. I just want more people to listen to the program and let you know that, hey, a new one is available. Listen to it if you'd like. And uh, then also we'd like you to uh, participate in the Decade of Perfect Vision, the 2020s. As we ask you to go within and listen to that still small voice. I do not know why, Sandy, but sometimes I get so involved in these interviews, I completely forget about asking the guest about that inner life and how that plays into our conversation. And we'll have you back to talk about that. I think that would be very important to to discuss. We also ask that if you can help us out financially, we would greatly appreciate that. We do have a PayPal account. It is for your security as well as ours, and any amount is gratefully appreciated. We will take energetic support as well. And with that, we move on to our three final questions for our guest. Uh, And the first of those three, who is Sandy Hart? Mother, grandmother, daughter, sister, wife. What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are doing now? I want to see everybody live into their divine assignment. And finally, what is your life's purpose? Oh, this is fun because I'm just discovering it at 61 years old. 
And by the way, I have a friend who uh, also will be 50 years this year. Oh, cool. Yeah. To live by example, Hmm. uh, teach servant leadership. Yeah, it's showing up for me right now. Wonderful. It's constantly evolving, but it's but that's that's a pretty condensed version of it. Yeah. Well, Sandy, again, thank you so much for being with us on the program, sharing with us uh, the um, uh, Liminal Odyssey. The Liminal Odyssey is available through liminalodyssey.com. And, of course, that promo code is Richard D. And that's uh, no space, no liminal space between the Richard and the D. And, uh, again, we thank you for that offer. And I hope, folks, you will take advantage of it as well as the class that she mentioned a little bit ago. Until our next broadcast, podcast, videocast, love to Lal and Jeanette, I am listening.